nothing has made me open my eyes as much as urban sketching. And also appreciate that. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we get from doing this activity called urban sketching. Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Rob Sketcherman, an urban sketcher and digital artist based in Hong Kong. Rob is not just a digital artist really, but an iPad ninja, able to wield his weapon of choice at a moment's notice and produce colorful, beautiful, expressive depictions of his world. You may also have seen Rob as the host of USK Talks, a weekly live show on Instagram and YouTube from the Urban Sketchers organization. In it, he speaks to other urban sketchers and connects with urban sketching chapters around the world. I know some urban sketchers who make art on the iPad, but Rob is the only urban sketcher I know who makes all his art on the iPad. And this is significant. The digital medium allows him several interesting choices at different stages of his work. It makes him a versatile artist who is able to set up shop anywhere that he wishes to draw at a moment's notice. It makes his art supply kit compact, irrespective of the size of his canvas or the diversity of the brushes that he wants to use. For example, he has the freedom every time he draws to go in first with color or with line, to jump between color choices, to switch inking styles and pens. And of course, he holds the enormous power that comes with an undo button. Rob took to urban sketching for a fundamental reason that resonated with me, the desire to become a better artist. And at one point in his journey to become a better artist, he switched completely to digital art. The practice of digital art is now a few decades old, but the ability to create it away from a big screen and a giant CPU under the desk is a lot more recent. The iPad has been an art tool for just about 10 years now. And in this conversation, Rob and I will talk about the start of his relationship with the iPad, how it came to define his art and how it saved his marriage. Rob and I recorded this conversation in early March. So just a heads up, some of our COVID related talk is a little dated and not reflective of the current situation. This episode was important to me because digital art is a crucial part of my learning journey as well. For a time, I faced a lot of obstacles in traditional art using paper with pen or pencil that I was unable to overcome. I needed the digital medium at that point of time as a sort of lab where I could try out different ideas, run different color experiments, in a safe space, that is, without the cost of ruining my drawing. In the bonus commentary for this episode, we will go a little deeper in this direction, sharing some ideas from both Rob and myself for how the digital medium is an invaluable tool for traditional artists, and also some reasons why digital artists should practice art in the analog world. You can access that bonus commentary soon on my Buy Me A Coffee page, for which there is a link in the show notes. This episode is made possible with the support of my monthly patrons, Anne, Emma, Mark, Martha, Russ, Sanket, Ruth, Becky, Ellen, Santosh, Dinah, Megan, Etienne, Mark, and Marta again. 
I would also like to thank the other listeners who visited my Buy Me A Coffee page to buy me coffee and also shared their thoughts about the show. Direct listener support is a win-win. It makes me directly accountable to you and allows me to focus on the most important thing, which is making a great show. So if you like this show, if this episode is useful to you, consider buying me a cup of coffee. You can do so using the link in the show notes or by visiting my website. That's www.sneakyartist.com. Returning to today's episode, I think we're quite lucky to be alive at a time when intellectual gatekeeping around the art world about the practice of art is on the decline. There are infinite resources to learn all the things in the world that are interesting to us. And a lot of great knowledge is completely free. So I hope that Rob's journey inspires your own self-education. And I hope that if you haven't, you pick up an iPad and make some digital art. So, um, let's see, we're, we're just gonna keep chatting or like, when do you actually start or how, how I'm going how to, to do <laughs> I'm going to do something like the <laughs> welcome to the podcast kind of thingy that I have to do. And then that's the official conversation, but uh, otherwise it's already recording. So that's, that's good anyway. Um, just before I do that though, I, how are things, how are things in Hong Kong? How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, my wife and I are fine. Um, things are opening up. Uh, they never really like locked down a lot except for the first couple of months of the pandemic. So people are going out. It's just that um, if you want to gather in groups, it's a maximum of four. Dining out, maximum of four. But there is no, well, actually up until maybe uh, two weeks ago, everything was closed after 6 p.m. Well, dining out option. So the city was very dead. It's slowly picking up back again because i mean hong kongers they homes are small so um i think the average square foot size for a home is like 400 400 square foot yeah or 26 square meters or thereabouts that's average sized so of course you got your gigantic ones but there are lots of people living in much smaller spaces so social life is very much going out and meeting your friends it's very rare to have people say, come over to my place. Like, for instance, I've been to India many times and every person I meet, you're like, they're like, come over to my place for dinner, you know? Yeah, and in other parts of Asia as well, if they have larger homes, it's, it's, it's so normal. But over here, it's like, oh, let's go out to blah, 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 because, and then you go someplace for dinner and then you go to another place for, for dessert. Like, it's very specialized. That's because, you know, homes are small. And if you live with your parents, as some people do, like family of like five or six or seven, reminds me of some places, like some friends I had when I visited people in Mumbai. It's like, you know, three generations in one little space. And then, you know, for dinner, like there's no table, like everybody sits on the floor. And then, you know, then the mother makes chapati, like there right away. And I mean, it's spotless, but it's a different way of living. Yeah. And I, that, you know, that kind of a small personal living space, it also, I think it, it changes your equation with your neighborhood, with your local outdoors. You sort of think of that also as part of your daily, 
you know, you're almost like an extension of your home in some ways, like a common area, which is nonetheless part of your home. Absolutely. I mean, gardens are a luxury, you know, the ultimate sign of luxury in Hong Kong or like, like that, it means like you're there. You're not just a multi-millionaire and it's not a Ferrari. It's not a Rolls Royce. It is a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> lawnmower. Yeah, because you might have a tiny little garden, but, you know, to have a lawnmower and to have to like the mother. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? So, uh, the gardener is like a highly paid profession. <laughs> I have no idea. I've never had to come close to one. I fortunately live like around the corner from one a very large urban park. So, you know, we head out to that. I mean, Hong Kong is also very like everything is very close by i suppose kind of like vancouver in a way because we're on hong kong island and the backbone of the island is a mountain range uh you get really nice peaks so if we want to go hiking it's you know we take it like a bus ride outside outdoor uh 15 minute bus ride 10 minute bus ride and then you suddenly like oh we're in the peaks you can see the city so you have an amazing view which is how i drew something like that but, but, you know, it's all within easy access. And if you really want to get away from the madding crowd, maybe an hour by public transport. Like, I don't even have a car because there's nowhere to park here because I'm in the middle of a crazy urban center. I, I just love that way of living, you know, like I, the thing that I love most about Vancouver so far is that I haven't felt the need to have a car and that I can walk or take the public transport to wherever I want to go. And that's how I enjoy cities. That's what I love about, like, what my, these are the qualifying criteria for me for what a good city is. Yeah, the, the walkability is important. And I think, I mean, Hong Kong's got excellent public transport. And I mean, excellent. Like, uh, one of my favorite things to do, for instance, is uh, on, only on Hong Kong Island, not in Kowloon side. I'm not sure if you know about the, the geography of the place, but basically it's like a little island here. <laughs> which is Hong Kong Island. And then there's a narrow harbor, um, which the British used to park their boats when they're typhoons. And then it's connected to the mainland. And all that mainland, like this, what we call the Northern Territories, Kowloon, you've heard the name Kowloon. And Northern Territories, it just borders on China, mainland China itself. So, yeah, so we're on the island. And there are actually lots of little, little islands as well. So... I mean, if you like boating and kayaking, there's all that that you can do. It's actually for a small space. It's quite geographically diverse. So that's nice. That's that's great. And so uh, we're already talking. And if we keep going, I'll forget about doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome, uh, Rob, to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm so happy to finally speak with you. And I'm glad that you found that you were able to give me your time today. Thank you, Nishant. I mean, I've heard of your podcast for months now, and I've actually been starting to catch up. I thought, okay, I'm not going to listen to every single podcast yet because I don't want to feel like, oh, so-and-so already said that. <laughs> so to keep it fresh, I listened to uh, like Paul Houston. I thought, oh, wow, that's really good. I mean, you've got a really good thing going here. And I really like how you're highlighting different kinds of urban sketches and people who want to deep dive into it. I mean, I, I checked out even the reviews for your podcast. I'll link 
give you a five-star review because I really like what's going on. And people were like really enjoying that in-depth conversation. So I'm very honored to be a part of this. Thank you for asking. I think that's been my great privilege with doing this, that uh, because of the pandemic and all our our meetups and all these, you know, the Chicago seminar and all of the, the, the USK symposium, these things being canceled, I thought that the, th- the way that I've learned the most from Urban Sketchers is by speaking to them and by watching them draw, peering over their shoulders, listening to them talk to other people even, you know, there are drops, uh, gems and bits of pearls of wisdom everywhere in these conversations. And that was taken from us so abruptly. So the idea for this podcast was that I want to be able to share that with other people who shouldn't be handicapped in their learning journey just because of this pandemic and also that, you know, I want to speak to all of these people and I want to get things from them, which is one of my big reasons for speaking with you. I don't know if you remember, but uh, the first time I actually met you was when I gate crashed the USK Chicago Symposium. I absolutely uh, remember. I remember we were, we were chatting uh, also in front of that, what that orange spider sculpture kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember meeting you in Chicago. <laughs> So that's that's the first time I came to know of your art. And then I followed you on Instagram and I looked at more things. But what instantly fascinated me was the fact that, of course, you draw digitally with the iPad. And that made me, that intrigued me for two reasons. Firstly, because I also make a lot of art with the iPad and I've been using it since for a long time, like 2013. I've been using Procreate since 2013. Oh, okay. But secondly, because I haven't, And maybe that's true even today. I haven't really used it outdoors. And for that, there are these, I don't know what the stumbling block is, but I'm not able to give myself the confidence to take it outdoors and to use it to make art in the way that you make your art. So this conversation, I hope will help me to do that and help the listeners in some other ways. Uh, by finding out how you do how you do the things you do, you you share so much of your work uh, on Instagram. You share so much of your process, and so many people have heard you speak on USK talks. But I still feel like there's this air of intrigue and mystery around you. <laughs> That's what I'm going to try to uncover today with all my leading questions. Speaking behind the veil, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to to help anybody start working digitally because I obviously I I love it um, so much. So after I started going fully digital in 2013, I've never looked back. I can honestly say I do not miss traditional media at all. Partly because I am a lazy bum <laughs> and I hate having to clean up. You know, I hate like and also like. One of the, maybe I, I should start with why I started going digital, because before that, I was very much doing stuff traditionally, although not so much in the urban sketching space. I did a little bit of urban sketching without knowing the term, um, just like hanging out with friends. But it really began when I discovered life drawing classes and sessions, rather. Um, and it was quite by accident. His friend was saying, oh, I'm going for a life drawing session here in Hong Kong. I was thinking, what life drawing in Hong Kong must be like, you know, it, it, spaces are so tiny. And sure enough, I showed up and it was like elbow to elbow, you know, like you're 
literally rubbing shoulders with the person next to you and we're all trying to draw. And, uh, but I, I found it fascinating and I was using um, maybe an A3 size piece of paper and I was using Conte pencils with watercolors. So fast, you know, 30 seconds, five, five minutes, up to 20 minutes. And I was loving it. And then, then I found this new circle of artistic friends. And then we started to hang out. We'd meet up at coffee shops and all that sort of thing and start drawing. And we draw each other. And then we'd start expanding and drawing like the environment around ourselves and each other. And then we realized that this was a thing. So I didn't even realize there was an Urban Sketches Hong Kong chapter until I Googled it. Because I, I, I thought, oh, there's this thing called Urban Sketching. You know, I was so excited meeting up with my live drawing friends. Like, this is a thing. We should just set up a chapter. And then we found out, oh, there is a chapter. <laughs> that story is so lovely, you know, because uh, like I also discovered, like it seemed, it sounds like you were organically looking for inspiration you found it in life sketching, then you found it in drawing each other. And then quite organically, again, you saw that maybe we can draw from observation. And then you found out that this is a thing other people do, which yeah. is exactly what happened with me. <laughs> and that's how I gate crashed the symposium, actually, because I was walking around Chicago and I was new in Chicago and I was just mesmerized by the city. And I thought, this is how I'm going to learn. I'm going to walk around and I'm going to draw things because I'd been drawing all my life, but not very well. And I thought it, it was too late for me to actually learn how to draw. But this city made me want to draw. And then I saw a flyer or I saw maybe there was one of those things on lampposts, like those ads on lampposts saying USK Symposium. Wow. <laughs> because I was drawing, I guess. Maybe for that reason, I noticed it. That is true. I mean, I think nothing has made me open my eyes as much as urban sketching. And also appreciate that. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we get from doing this activity called urban sketching. Um, number two, really, really closely is the community, because I think it wouldn't be the same without this amazing global community and the way everybody connects through social media and all that. And it's also really, really supportive because I've been part of the life drawing communities in different places. Like we, like my wife and I spend a fair bit of time in the US as well, because we've got family in LA and I've joined the life drawing sessions there in many, many different places. And there's a very high sense of competition. So some people like, you know, if you want to, you're a newbie, you want to go up to somebody like, wow, that's really good. How do you do that? They're polite. And some people are really, really nice, you know, and they're very open. But there are some people, especially in the Hollywood industry, in animation and all that, it's closely guarded secrets, right? Like you can watch, but you know, they, they're not very open or sharing. Whereas, you know, coming to urban sketching community, suddenly it's like, my goodness, what is this? <laughs> it's amazing. You can ask that question and everybody wants to answer that question for you. It's such a, that was, that was also unheard of for me because I came into it without any training in art and that's what that's what worked for me the fact that i could ask anybody anything and and i'm i'm usually hesitant to do that i'm hesitant because of this very reason this preconception that you can't simply ask people how they're doing something and you expect artists to have certain airs to have a certain reservedness to them but that's not what you get in urban sketching there's just no all those entry barriers are gone and you could be anybody but you're all on this flat hierarchy 
you know flat system there's no hierarchy and that's so strange for me coming from india and i, I expect even you would feel like that there's supposed to be some kind of a hierarchical thing you don't simply approach somebody above you i think it's an asian thing you know it's like when you're growing up even people who are not related to you is an auntie and an uncle it's in the chinese tradition it's in the indian tradition it's in different parts of asia as well it's you know it's kind of understood so hierarchies built into our culture and then suddenly you find like wow you know you can talk to somebody like very hey, paul easton who's got you know i mean i didn't even know about social media following and all that sort of thing but i saw his work and i was the first time i met him was at in manchester at a symposium and i was thinking oh my god he's such a nice guy <laughs> and and so humble and so incredibly knowledgeable and we could just you know we just hit it off uh, but that wasn't my first symposium actually the the first time I was really impressed i would say my first international urban sketching thing was in penang in georgetown they, they had a sketch walk thingy so when i joined urban sketches hong kong and they were saying like oh this is thing coming up in 6 months and you know about 13 14 of us went and i was blown away at how people got together from all over asia and they were drawing together and just the sight of 150 people walking down the street you know with with like uh you know sketchbooks and all that and then planting themselves and then the crowds coming around and looking and seeing what's happening like why are you drawing this building that's being torn down you know <laughs> but you know you got like 150 actually there were 180 people and everybody like you had the solidarity with this community that's sketching and that that same thing was on the streets of Chicago as well i mean i remember sitting in front of the museum with those lions and then it was like sketchers you know far as the eye could see suddenly you don't feel like it's some silly little thing that occurred to you to do just <laughs> all of these people like uh, i i i use this term when i'm when i was speaking with uh, some of the other sketchers also is that it's such an important thing and we don't realize it but we always need permission from our fellow artists in order to do a certain thing in order to try a certain thing and until you until you get that permission you don't think that you need it but you also don't operate you know the way you would once you have it so for me i i i was so nervous about doing this drawing thing in public like it's such a silly thing to do how can you do people are going to judge you people are going to look at you and think you're weird people are going to d- throw a dollar at you thinking that's what you're doing this for <laughs> but <laughs> then i saw at the symposium there are people putting out paint sets and easels and sitting down on the ground how can it be silly that i'm standing somewhere with a sketch pad and one pen i can do this if people can uh, lay out their whole setup on the on on busy chicago streets uh, before we before we go on to other parts i really want to pull you backwards in time first sure <laughs> so before before life sketching before urban sketching i'm curious to know uh when did drawing enter your life what were the kind of things you were drawing and uh so just take me on this journey to you becoming an artist and an urban sketcher okay uh, from what i from what my parents tell me i started drawing at a very young age or i i loved to <clears throat> so i decorated the walls like lots of kids and my my parents were very open i would say for asian parents um and they they gave me lo- lots of exposure without any 
barriers, so to speak. So if I wanted to experiment with paint or if I wanted to draw something, they would just go, tell me, go ahead, go give it a go, try it. And for a while, my mom was an art teacher. But what was very interesting is she would not teach me a single thing. She never taught me how to draw. She just gave me the tools and she was like, try. And I, I remember asking her, like, how do I draw this? And she never told me. And much, 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 much later, when I was uh, a teenager and I was halfway decent um, at drawing, she told me that she never wanted to teach me how to draw because she felt that she was not that good at drawing. Um, so she didn't want to limit me. And uh, But what she did was she would point stuff out. And I think one of the most valuable things that my, my parents did was to encourage me to look, to see things. Uh, they would point out colors and, and different things like, you know, whether it's a flower or it's a, oh, look at that guy or look at that car or, you know, so I would, I think I started opening my eyes up to detail at that stage, but it's very interesting because I didn't really draw much from observation. I would say that my art teacher was comic books. <laughs> and I learned to draw by copying comic books. And my parents wouldn't buy me comic books. So I got the hand-me-downs, the tattered versions from cousins and friends in school and all that. And I was this Marvel DC fan. So like um, I often say that Spider-Man taught me dynamic posture. And Superman was the first one to teach me musculature and anatomy. And then I would analyze it. Oh, you exaggerated? You get the Hulk. And it went so far that when I was in, when I was still like maybe eight, nine years old, I had a little um, blank exercise book. And I drew different characters in them, these different superheroes. And this was when the entrepreneurial spirit started because like <laughs> friends would pay me like 20 cents or 50 cents and I'd draw them a picture and then that money I would save up to buy something else that I wanted. But that's how I started learning to draw. <clears throat> and I was a crappy student, so I wasn't good at anything else. I mean, I'm not particularly tall, not athletic, not particularly good looking, you know? So all I had was this drawing thing um, and by the same time, I, I, I'm sure you understand coming from Asia, it is not a profession that is considered acceptable. Like, uh, my dad at one point was like, Oh, you want to draw maybe to be an architect, but I'm crap at math. <laughs> I'm a slow learner, you know? So, uh, there were very few avenues open to me. So I actually never went to college. Um, after high school, I, I started apprenticing and trying out different things in the creative field. So it led me to advertising and illustration and all that kind of thing. So I wound up being mostly in graphic design. At some point, I opened up a small little company. Uh, I think at the most, I had maybe one or two employees at one stage, but it was largely me and then project managing with other freelancers to do stuff. And in that capacity, I did a lot of drawing and doodling because I would, I mean, if you need a copywriter, I would do that. If you need a photographer, I got a camera and I'd shoot that for you. If you need an illustrator or if you need design, you need to put all that together. You know, so it's like uh, in, in, in Chinese, they call it a one kick, 
one kick pony, something like that. <laughs> so basically, well, general dog's body. You do everything. Uh, but all this time, I, I was still drawing. I, I enjoyed it. But I, I was doing a lot of drawing from imagination because also work demanded that of me. And I, I took like some tiny little courses like for illustration or stuff like that. I remember one perspective course I took um, just over like four weeks. And this guy was getting us to plot everything on like, you know, you, you start with 2D. And then after that, you have to project all these lines down to create a 3D. And I thought, oh, my God, perspective is such a pain in the rear end. I'll never do it. But I, every, I would still come back to drawing figures because I loved drawing the human figure. And every now and then I might draw someone um, close to me, but I didn't find it interesting. So I would go back to drawing my superheroes, even, you know, decades after the comic book thing. And then when I discovered life drawing, then that suddenly opened up a new door. It's like, oh, this is actually really, really cool. Drawing from something that I'm seeing. Uh, and that inevitably led me to urban sketching. And I have to say the first time I joined a sketch wall with Urban Sketches Hong Kong, I'd never felt so at home with a bunch of strangers. I just felt like this is my tribe. You know, suddenly I fit in. I get what these people are so into. And it was a it was a very varied group of only like 12 people, but there were expats, there were locals. It was like a cross-section of society. There was a, a young student. There was an older lady. And language sometimes was an issue, but everybody got along. And we were all united by this thing of wanting to draw what we saw. And as I started getting involved in the urban sketching community and the group here in Hong Kong started to grow, and I started joining more international things. I was thinking, wow, this is a really beautiful thing. Because as an urban sketcher, one of the things you first realize is your eye hunts for detail. And even in a space that you've seen thousands of times, there's always something new to discover. And therefore, you're never bored. And if you carry a little sketchbook or something with you, I mean, you could draw something in any, in any time slot that you have, whether it's five minutes or a couple of hours, you could fill that time. And like sometimes I'm walking around in our neighborhood and my wife is like, what are you looking at? I said, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking, don't you know by now? <laughs> just always, just that leaf, how it looks right now. Yeah, well, the way the light is hitting that. And, and as you grow as a sketcher or as an artist, there's always something like you're currently trying to learn, whether it's uh, painting shadows or painting light or um, refining the way you describe form in your drawings. It's always something to learn, right? So and this, there is inspiration all around you. So how amazing is that? And I found... Wow, actually, urban sketching has made me a better person. I'm more patient, you know? I mean, I don't think I was a crazy guy, but because of this practice, it's meditative. You observe, you, you see things, you, and you take time to absorb things. It just naturally makes you a better person. So, wow. And the kind of returns you get from doing this in your urban sketching, you know, being patient waiting for something to appear and then 
drawing something sometimes without knowing if it's going to turn out very well, you know, especially if you're drawing something that you've drawn several times before, but doing it with that faith and then getting something from it, which is fresh, which is new, just that, that then spills over to the rest of life. Like you understand that sometimes just not having the answer is not the reason to not start to do something. And that this, what, uh, to your point about how you never run out of things, like interesting things, there's always something interesting. I love how you put it that, you know, you're always trying to learn something new. You're always trying to refine another aspect of your, of your skill set. So it could be shadows. So this week, if I'm walking outside, I'll just be looking at shadows. And I remember that uh, there's an urban sketcher who told me that you know, shadows are not just black or gray. Shadows are a darker form of the color of that, or, you know, whatever the thing is that is casting that shadow. So things like that, like, or just lines. Like for me, I can't draw, I can't draw trees very well. I just, I lose patience with them. So I'm always trying to approximate them in various ways. So whenever I'm in nature, I'm looking at ways to approximate the trees around me, which makes it always fresh, always interesting. So Tell me when you're, you're doing these things, you're doing live sketching, you're doing uh, live sketching, you're doing urban sketching also. So uh, describe this time when you first were introduced to the iPad. Were you initially a little hesitant about switching to a digital medium? Was it lo- love at first stroke? How, how did it go? Okay, that's that's a good question because I was extremely excited when I watched the keynote and saw Steve Jobs hold up the first iPad. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, went through extraordinary efforts to get a friend in the US um, to actually know that that person was traveling in Canada at the time. So it was this complicated thing of getting it sent from the US to Canada and bringing it back and and when I first got my hands on it, I was, well, when I saw it on screen, like people saying, oh, it's an oversized iPhone. I was thinking, no, no, this is going to change things. You know, I just instinctively knew this was a game changer. And if you look at that first iPad now, which I still have, still works, just that you can't do very much with it. Um, it, it was okay. It was exciting because it was new tech to have this kind of flat tablet that could do stuff. But the drawing apps were really mediocre. I mean, there was something called brushes. I don't know whether you, whether you ever played with that. And even then, it was exciting because uh, time-lapse recording was automatic. So to be able to see your drawing, do it, and then see it recreate itself is like, oh, my God, what magic is this? You know, That's fantastic. Um, but the brushes were very just okay, very meh, I would say. Uh, so I dabbled and I tried it every now and then. Got the first iPad, skipped generation two, got the iPad three. But what made me really jump totally digital was uh, because I was so into life drawing, I was going from little sketchbooks to A3 size and I'd buy stacks and stacks. Every life drawing session, I would go through a stack. And then after that, I got larger and larger and I went to canvases and then at one point my wife told me like I can't take it because I had I had stuff everywhere and I'd go to an art store like oh I I, I need this I need to try this medium and then um you know I gotta get this paint and I gotta try like there's a new charcoal in town there's a new pen there's a brush pen there's a oh it's a waterproof brush you know it's never ending 
So uh, in our tiny home, she was saying like, she, she just told me she couldn't take all the, all the stuff that was everywhere. So I said, okay, um, give me some time. I'll see if I can find a solution. And I had the iPad 3 at the time. I had brushes on it. I was, still wasn't very happy with it. And then I heard about this app, Procreate. And I remember taking the iPad 3, going up one winter morning to the peak, which is the highest point on Hong Kong Island. And I was sitting with her. It was 12 degrees and I was not warm enough, but I was playing around with this stylus and Procreate and trying to draw the view. And even though the stylus was not pressure sensitive back then, it was just those dumb stylus with a little rubber nip. I was yeah, thinking, Apple hadn't come out with its own pencil at that time. No Apple pencil. Yeah, nothing, nothing that was, I mean, no, we didn't have pressure sensitivity. So, but still I thought, wow, this has got potential. This could be good. And I started experimenting more. I started experimenting with the brushes in Procreate. And if you look back now, it was still so limited to compared to what is available today. But I knew that I could make this work. And then uh, the following month or so, my wife got me the new iPad Air, the first generation for my birthday. And I, and now I know it was, she, she was like digitally just pushing me like, get it and get rid of all this stuff. <laughs> it was, she was just trying to get me to clean house, you know? Yeah, but, but with the iPad Air, there was this huge jump in performance. And then um, Wacom came out with the first generation uh, into our stylus. And, I, and although it was a rubber tip, I, I was like Googling a lot and checking stuff online. I, I found a way to modify the tip with uh, a little metal Teflon coated disc from another stylus. And suddenly it was like, oh, this is it. You know, this is my kit. I can make this work. And I started sketching and doing stuff and really taking it outdoors. I found a, a case that would allow me to hold things outdoors and be able to work. And that that was the start of it. I remember the first time, and I wasn't even really on social media then. Like when I joined Urban Sketches Hong Kong in early 2014, uh, people were saying like, oh, do you have Facebook? And I I think I, I set up an account just so that I could share my live drawings and urban sketching and all that sort of thing. So I didn't know what to do with social media really, but I started posting. I remember the first time I, I had the courage to post a digital urban sketch and I asked permission from the admin to post in the urban sketches Facebook group. And I said, you know, I work digitally. I use an iPad. Some people didn't even know. I mean, they heard about iPads. I said, oh, you can draw with an iPad back then. It was like, what? You can draw with an iPad. And I posted this market scene that I did. And they said, yeah, sure, you, you should be able to, as long as you didn't use an app to convert a photo into, you know, painting, so-called. Um, and the response was amazing. Like People were like, what? You use an iPad for that? And uh, I was overwhelmed by the, by the positive feedback. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, this, this, is, this is a thing. Let's give it a go. So I, that, the encouragement really helped me to push myself a bit more, experiment, try stuff, and really, 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 really make this work. And after that, I mean, there was really no looking back. Because, I mean, if you think about the convenience of having an iPad with you, 
the app provides all the colors you could possibly want and more. Your Apple Pencil is a magic wand that is any media that you could possibly need. And over time, the developers of Procreate have made the app better and better and better. And I've actually met them. And they're so dedicated. You know, they've, they've made this affordable app. You pay 10 bucks for it, I think US at the time. And that's it, no subscription model. Yeah, I paid I paid $7 for it eight years ago. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. When we first got it, it was seven ninety nine or something like that. Six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. I think it's got. It went down to five ninety nine at one point. <laughs> and you know, you use it forever. Um, and all they do, this company, Savage Interactive, is they make Procreate for iPad, iPhone. That's it. And every year, that the team just makes it better and better. Yeah, so it, the the updates every year just blow me away. Like I have never ever thought that I would have not only is it constantly upgrading that I have the lifetime rights to every upgrade that no matter how bet how much better it gets I was their one-time customer and that's all they want from me they just want me to keep using and that that breeds so much loyalty in me like I refuse like I I keep occasionally seeing other uh, drawing apps like heavy paint and things like that and I just refuse to even try them because I <laughs> I, I want to be lo- I want to give them I'm not giving them any more money I can at least give them complete loyalty now. and they I don't understand. let me down like it just gets better it just gets better yeah that that that's very true and I mean the whole company just builds procreate so that level of dedication I remember speaking to to the guy who developed Procreate with his wife in his bedroom. And we actually had dim sum because I was invited to an Apple event where several developers were, were brought in from abroad to to talk to local artists. So there was like an architectural program, there was Procreate, there was a 3D program, and all I wanted to do was talk about Procreate. And they were so humble so cool so easy to chat with so i invited them for dim sum the following day and they went they came out to lunch with me these two guys and we walked around we talked about procreate we talked about you know sketching and stuff like that and they were saying like i asked them like is there some way for for your users to give you a little bit more money because you know i feel bad paying just once for this and i and i was asking him also how come you don't do a subscription model or something you know, or maybe like make more brushes that are an upgrade that you can, you know, like an optional buy-in. And they were saying like all they want is for more people to be able to draw on the iPad. That's it. And that's been their that core mission that has taken them to, you know, selling millions of little Procreate uh, versions. And, and they have an incredibly loyal base. It's an industry leader. I mean, it's a top iPad app, uh, iPad paid app. But for very good reason. I mean, I have tested also a lot of different kinds of art apps for the iPad. And I think nothing beats Procreate in in the sense of it can be as simple as you want, as well as complex and powerful as you need if you're a pro. And yeah, and and (laughs) like we said, like we've been saying, it just gets better, right? So... This compact toolkit, it's amazing. You set up and you pack up in seconds. You don't have to do any scanning anymore. I've printed stuff directly from Procreate, sent it to the printer, and it comes out beautiful. I don't need to do color correction. I don't need to clean stuff up anymore. You know, I have a, a, a little drawer for a little box full of clogged 
foundry pens that I never bothered to clean. Uh, and and also, I've got to say, working digitally has made my marriage much more harmonious. Win, <laughs> <laughs> win, 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 win situation. Yeah, it's it's that's that's so. All of those points are so true. Now I'm thinking of how you've saved on the space by not needing sketchbooks, by not needing to buy art supplies and store them. But uh, as with each successive upgrade, and now there are these more users using it. So there are so many more users offering brush packs. And for $5, you can download 200 brushes, which are, and a lot of them are beautiful, like really useful. I've downloaded, I paid for one set of brushes once, and I still use some of them, although not all of them, of course. Uh, so I'm curious to know, have you, uh, you've narrowed down to one device, that's the iPad, and that's the one app, which is Procreate. Have in making art on Procreate, have you also been able to narrow down to like the essential brushes or the essential, you know, page format that you like to use? Or is it something you think about, you know, again and again, when you create something? I, well, let's, let's talk about canvas size. First, I really like a two to one panoramic ratio. And when I, I started discovering this once I got on Instagram, simply because I would cut a two to one um, panorama so that it fits two squares really nicely. And I initially started doing that because I got so tired of pinching in to try and see detail on a, on a drawing uh, from other sketchers. And I thought, wow, you know, it's so easy to do this in Procreate. So why not? Um, so I actually use an 8,000 by 4,000 pixel canvas. And one thing that new people who are new to um, Procreate might not know is the power of your iPad determines the canvas size that you can create. So if you can't do 8,000 by 4,000, it's probably because you have an older iPad because all the newer ones can probably do that. No, hang on. Even the new iPad... Uh, I think maybe Air, it's also a difference between Air and Pro. Yes, the new iPad Air can't do it. I tried it in the Apple Store, but interestingly, the iPad Mini can. <laughs> yes, the latest iPad Mini. So, um, I like a larger size canvas, also because I've I've realized that you never know when you're going to create something that's really nice that you could use for something else. Uh, someone might want to license your artwork. And I've had cases where I, I drew something like I spent an hour sketching downtown and and it's in my catalog of sketches that I've done in Hong Kong. And somebody says like, oh, I really like that. I want to put it on my wall. And because the artwork is so high resolution, I'm able to scale it up and get it printed. And I, I now have a production team like... When some office says, oh, I want it for like a two meter, two meters by whatever meters, you know, no problem. I can do that. I mean, I've done stuff in Procreate at the largest canvas size, which is just over 16,000 pixels wide. And I've printed it eight meters wide to fit a, a space in an office. And, and they wanted it on a glass wall. <laughs> so UV printing uh, <laughs> with Procreate two-sided printing and it looks great i mean and and when the client says you did that on an ipad well <laughs> you know it it really makes the whole world your studio you could be anywhere and do stuff so that's why i use 8000 by 4000 and in terms of brushes 
uh, I recently, I, I'm going to put out a YouTube video um, that where I actually explored every single brush in Procreate because I discovered that there are 192 brushes in 18 categories. So at the end of that video, I'll also talk about which are the favorites because if for all those people who have Procreate and they're like tempted to buy these brush packs, I would say don't do it yet. There are so many amazing brushes now in Procreate, 192, you know, for every kind of situation you could possibly need and more. And, and a lot of them are excellent. They're absolutely excellent. So if you buy a, you know, a pack of like 200 brushes, just the time spent trying to find out what all those 200 brushes could do is time that you could spend going out there to draw. So, you know, find your favorites, use them and just keep it, keep it simple. Like, I think after this, I've used hundreds and hundreds of brushes. I've lost count. I think my main go-tos are a handful, four or five that I use for most situations and often just two brushes because they're so versatile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the brushes I like are also the ones that respond in all the different ways. So the ones that are uh, sensitive to speed and the ones that are sensitive and say, so my, my line work, if it, if that one is sensitive to pressure, I really enjoy that. And there's also this aspect of these brushes that I really love is that I'm able to do things that I would be so afraid of doing on paper because of the potential for ruining that page or needing to buy a new brush just to do that, that thing with the stroke. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point because I, I do think that working digitally, uh, if you don't rely too much to, with your, uh, you don't rely so much on undo, um, you still work with the mistakes, but it frees you up because I think for a lot of people, at least back when I was working traditionally, and if you work in a sketchbook, especially, you're afraid of like, I've done these so many nice drawings in the pages before. And I'm afraid of screwing up this nice new page <laughs> or it, it's, or, you know, it's nice paper and I don't want to mess it up. So this fear of messing up a piece of paper, that's not cheap, you know, it holds people back. So with digital, I've seen like uh, when I've had workshops and I, I encourage the students, like, just try it, you know, just try Like I'm, I, I'm trying to get students to really, uh, go bold with variable line. And a lot of people are not used to that. They use micron pens or whatever. There's a mono line kind of thing. But I'm telling them, like, you know, imagine the juiciest brush that you never have to refill, always in the sweet spot. Go wild with it, you know, really try stuff. And after they get the hang of it, then it's very liberating because if it doesn't work, delete the layer or delete the, you know, the canvas and try again. There's no harm. Yeah. Let's talk about these workshops for a bit because uh, I'm also an advocate for digital sketching and I ask people to try it. I, I've been successfully, uh, I've been successful at moving some people to also use the digital medium, but you, there's a lot of resistance from people who have been using traditional media for the longest time with, with this new thing. It almost feels like not just a new tool, but a new language entirely, how you're going to do this, how you're going to do that. Uh, and 
you know, having options, like having all these things that you can pinch a zoom and you can uh, change the canvas size, you can have layers, you can have layer properties, which completely change everything all over again. It intimidates a lot of people. So in the workshops that you've given, and you're giving so many workshops about digital urban sketching, uh, how often do you get people who are otherwise good at art, but just very nervous around the digital medium and what are some of these common hesitations that you help them to tide over? I would say close to 100% of the students who attend my workshops are from traditional mediums and who just want to explore digital and the options of it because they are attracted by the fact that you have a very small package. I mean, the size that you work at depends on whether you want an iPad mini or you want a, the largest iPad Pro. It's up to you. But once you have the iPad and the Apple Pencil and Procreate installed, that's all you really need. Well, I would say a, a good handle for you to, to work outdoors as well so that you can grip your iPad properly. But that's really all you need. And um, many people are also intimidated by the tech, the tech aspect. They download Procreate. And nobody wants to read the handbook, very few, because they're like 400-something pages, although it's extremely, extremely well-written. Oh, yes. yes. And it's so, so useful. There are so many tips, especially once you've reached a certain level of comfort with the app. I do ask people to go to the handbook because there are shortcuts in there that don't occur to you, and they are such a big time saver. That's true. But what the handbook doesn't teach you is how to apply it to your workflow. So it... It, it talks about the features of the app. And if you understand Procreate, you have a, a workflow going, then you understand, oh, I can, I can do this and accommodate it in this way. And it can fit into my workflow in this way. So the people who come to attend my workshops are either the complete technical noobs, like they've just downloaded Procreate, they, don't, they, don't, they haven't even launched it. You know, some people come to my class like, oh, I just came to you, I, I just bought my iPad at the airport. I downloaded Procreate. That's it. I'm here. <laughs> students do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so far, uh, in the first bit of the workshops, I've always had to take students through the basics to understand the UI, how to set up your, you know, your brushes optimally, up, up, set it up so that it's customized to you. Like one simple thing that you can do, for instance, is the sliders that control these brush size and opacity. I always advise students to put it on the opposite side of your dominant hand. Why? Because actually Procreate has set it up so that if you go to preferences and you click right hand interface, the sliders are on the right side so that your drawing hand with the Apple Pencil can just go to that and play around with it. But if it's on the opposite side, you can use your other hand to change settings on the fly. You know, so it's such a simple little thing to do, and that's not going to be in the handbook. So that's why people come in and attend a workshop with me, to understand how Procreate and the iPad works in a digital workflow, specifically for urban sketching. Because the other thing I would say is there's so many concept artists and illustrators who use Procreate, but the workflow they have is quite different from that of an urban sketcher. And the features they need in Procreate are very different. Like I would never teach my student to turn on perspective guide, for instance. 
because I still want students to understand how to do to develop their basic drawing skills without depending on these digital crutches. You already have the undo button. You already have digital brushes, you know, which which simulate traditional brushes in a really, really nice way. You don't have to clean up. <laughs> so you've already got a lot of the shortcuts built into your process. Don't don't use quick line, for instance, and quick shape to make straight lines. If your line is wonky, let it be wonky. You know, you can you can do a Lapan or a Paul Heaston kind of slightly fisheye perspective or something like that, but you know, don't use those tools. Um, so I keep it really, really simple actually, so that people can get up and running as soon as possible after they feel comfortable with the app. Um, uh, so I teach uh, like which brushes to use to start with, how to start exploring. Of course, they need to know how to do colors and make their own custom colors and custom palettes. And then understanding layers, I think, is key because that is really the that that is what unlocks the workflow. If you don't understand layers, you don't you can't wrap your head around it. And there are students who still feel like, oh, you know, it's just too much for me. It's too overwhelming. I can't remember what I did on what layer. I'm just going to draw on one. And if you, I mean, you can if you want to, but there's so many things you can, so many benefits to working on layers. It's like the real, the truly phenomenal advantage of digital art is in layers. Being able to do that is is so cool. And I also feel like, you know, being hesitant to use layers is, almost like that little bit of stubbornness of not going full digital, like thinking that there's some, yeah. <laughs> it's more real to be doing it on one, one layer. Right. Yes. It's not, it's not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, a, that's an issue that I had in the beginning because almost every person I met back in the day, say 2014, when I was working with an iPad, said, Oh, that's cheating. I said, why? I'm still drawing by hand. Yes, I don't have to clean my brush, but is that cheating? So at one point, I started telling people who uh, traditional painters and artists and and urban sketches. This was the only bit that was not very nice, you know. It was it wasn't mean? It wasn't a mean comment, but it would be a little snide, like, "Oh, that's cheating." No, it's not cheating. I said, in that case, you should be grinding your pigment by hand. Where's exactly. your exactly? Why aren't you using a twig? Why would you use a you know a factory made yeah. pen? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What your 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 paint comes from a tube? No way. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think we're taking advantage of technology, but we're still emphasizing the need to develop old school skills of learning how to translate what your eye sees with your hand on a canvas whether the canvas is digital or traditional it's still drawing skills that you cannot hone in any other way but you know repetition and practice you know yeah and you know just that repetition and practice it makes me think of the the first one of the first reasons why i moved to the digital medium it wasn't simply the number of things i could do but the fact that it was so easy to do things and for me, it it took the greatest courage to get over that, you know, the, my biggest stumbling block was that I'm going to ruin the paper and my drawings are not good enough. And just having a virtual page, a virtual drawing, you know, things that I can repeat again and again, I can copy paste it and then resume it at another level. You know, if it's good until this point, I can copy that layer somewhere else and then work on it again. 
it it gave me the freedom it helped me to develop something and then when i returned so this is something i say to people often that you know using the digital medium doesn't mean that's your medium now it can be used to inform your work in the traditional medium it can be used to learn certain things that the traditional medium makes harder for you so in my case colors i was getting good with line work but the idea of applying colors on top of that and me with no knowledge of color theory i was just torn i couldn't destroy this beautiful line work i'd done right. so if i do it digitally i can replace the colors so easily i can make that yeah. layer invisible i can try another thing i can you know drop a color bucket on that layer and change everything and use that as a way and then i can go back to my traditional media i can do watercolors again but i'll have learned how colors work i'll have learned what looks good with what at no cost of paper <laughs> right that's that's all paint you know i mean good paint yeah. is expensive <laughs> right exactly good, good medium is expensive so so there's so many ways to inform your learning process with with the digital and the traditional and jumping in between like uh jumping between the two you know so, uh, flitting between them is so educative in itself so now i have reached a point where i draw only uh, straight with ink i don't use any pencils on paper and partly the confidence for that comes from having done so much work digitally and having the trust in my lines so when you say that about uh, teaching your students to not use the perspective guide teaching them to not use the line snapping tool it's so important that thing you know because so much of when people make art and they are stymied by something or the other it's because of this sense that we have that it has to be so and so real yeah but yes that's true giving ourselves the freedom to not you know to not be crippled by that to not use that as a crutch like a perspective guide can be such a crutch to developing a style to having something that's your line that's your you know even slightly flawed perspective but it's yours yeah right and yes. you repeat it often enough and it becomes your thing your style so you know if you do this if you if you trust in those things you sometimes need some of the other questions answered for you or some of some assistance in some other areas so if you have assistance in color if you have assistance in terms of having a layer underneath which whose trans whose opacity you can reduce and then you can just faintly see the lines and that gives you the boldness to do something once you've acquired that strength once you've got that confidence then you can approach other things with that same confidence yes absolutely that's true and another reason to i would say to not rely on the digital crutches like perspective guide and and quick shape which is that line snapping tool you were you were mentioning is if it, it is a crutch so what happens is if you don't have that you don't have the confidence to to do perspective and these are basic basic skills that are so important so important to to develop I think one of the the main reasons like I I agree with you you don't have to like start procreate an iPad feel that you're married to that. You don't have to be like me unless you are also lazy like I am. <laughs> I mean that's totally up to you. It's fine. There are so many amazing sketchers who who straddle the traditional as well as the digital worlds. They there is a space for either of them. uh for them and that's that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine and i agree with you i think one of the strengths of working digitally also is the ability to pull the ipad out and practice 
um, practice your line work, practice your observation. And if it doesn't work, it 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 allows you to let go of that. Like it, it, it's just practice, you know? So if you're not so married to the result or so you feel like it's so important uh, because it's gonna be my sketchbook and everybody will see it. I think that's a huge thing. Um, if it doesn't work out, it is fine. You know, you get like, get rid of the layer, delete the file, it's okay, start again. And that, if that frees you up to draw more, then that in itself is an extremely valuable thing because you're practicing your skills. The more you practice, the better you get, the more you love it, the better you get. <laughs> there is no secret. There is a part of why the iPad is particularly good for this, the iPad and the Apple Pencil combo, in that it is so close to mimicking the real thing. So a part of the hesitation I feel that some people have is they feel that they are not the ones doing this. The machine is the one making the art. And you just pull a line and then that line looks perfect. Like People have that kind of impression of it before they get into it. But because of how how well it reproduces your work, even if you were doing, you know, if you pull that pencil line on paper, it would be the same way as when you pull it with the pencil brush on the iPad down to the little, because of the pressure sensitivity and the, the very, very minute accuracy it has, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make you, it doesn't cripple you. It doesn't put you uh, dependent on those things. It still feels like you did this job. Yes. It's, it feels very hand-drawn. And, and the fact that you can tweak, uh, tweak things in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, it can be as, as close to traditional as you want in a digital space, as well as you could tweak everything. Like if you were professional, for instance, and you need to work really, really quickly, there are so many features and tools built into the program that allow you to work quickly. But even something like blending modes for layers, for instance, I don't teach blending modes. Why? Because if you're reliant on that, you can't you can't mix the color, right? So um, I I I work completely digitally, but I still want to preserve that need and the importance of the basic drawing skills, basic drawing, basic painting skills. So that if you don't have that iPad for that day, if your battery runs out, I mean, a power bank will solve that. That is no longer a reason for you to think that digital is <laughs> digital is not an option. But um, if you happen to be in a space, you didn't bring your iPad and all you have is a sketchbook or someone is lending you a sketchbook, because of the practice you've done on the iPad, you can just pick up a pen or a pencil and work on a piece of paper as well. Because you know how to draw. You know how to paint now. <laughs> Except sometimes, which happens in my case, is that I do the double finger tap on paper, <laughs> expecting <laughs> it to undo. That's true. I've I... even done the pinch zoom on paper. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> and I keep thinking like life needs an undo button <laughs> in general. <laughs> so uh, let's let's go back to your art. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm really fascinated by when, since I started following you on Instagram, I've been trying to figure out what kind of art you make. And every few months I look at your work and it feels like my, my previous images are dashed to the ground because now you're making something else and your, uh, your forte seems to be something else. You're representing your colors in a different ways. For the longest time, I thought I had a handle on what is Rob Sketchman's art. 
but then uh, you you did something with colors one day and i just thought shit he he can do this with colors also like, he doesn't do colors the way i thought he does colors so i'm very uh, here's what i want to ask so sure. uh, you've been uh, you had uh, you had a, a graphic design thing that you were doing your own business and then you were still drawing right. and then you started urban sketching and you're going out to draw and you were going out to draw without the intent of having customers for your art and no yeah so what i'm curious to know is when you go out uh, to a city whether you're traveling whether it's your hometown what are the things you're looking for and what are the things that make you want to draw what what kind of activity or what kind of phenomenon natural or otherwise that attracts your attention that way i'm always always attracted to the story i mean um there are two ways that i approach it when i choose something to draw um when i'm in a new place what draws my eye is the story uh whether it's a marketplace so what i would do is sit and observe what's happening and try to get a feel and essence of that place so that i lock it in my memory because um, urban sketching also i think it helps you to develop a more well-rounded and richer memory So because you're listening, you're watching, you're smelling and all that when you draw it, it it locks all those senses into that particular particular sketch as well. So I'm trying to remember where I've been, what what it was like to be there. Um and I'm attracted to what is happening there. So it's the story that I'm trying to portray. The other reason that I would sketch is if I'm trying to improve a particular skill. So it comes back to like earlier on we were saying um observation of light and shadow and shape and all that so if i'm trying to uh like uh, for instance when i was trying to do this this warp perspective and uh, the first time i saw it was in lapan's work and i i saw it in a book and like oh my god we're allowed to make the buildings not straight i mean he he bent a tower like so he did a u-turn from the front the top of the page so they would fit in i'm like that's allowed oh that's crazy but it looks so good and that gave me permission to free my lines more so when i was practicing that then it wasn't the story i was like trying to capture the character of a building with wonky lines um so it's either i'm trying to hone a skill or i'm trying to tell a story and i think as i've gone on now i try to make the number one thing to be telling that story and then incorporating whatever i'm trying to improve in myself where skills are concerned yeah this aspect of just taking in the surroundings the environment it's so difficult to to quantify how it plays a role but you know it seems to me that when you're deciding how something like this is going to look you have to incorporate so many abstract things like if you if it, if you're in a loud like i've i've spoken to some urban sketchers about this that it they never play music or they don't uh, you know plug anything into their ears when they're sketching because they really want to be in that moment now what is the use of being in that moment you can't really quantify that exactly like how is the how is listening to noisy background going to manifest in your work but it seems like these abstract things still have to be there and somehow they do find their way into the work yes 
I think uh, listening to your surroundings, well, depending on where you are also, I think listening, being able to listen to listen to what's happening around you uh, in many cities would be a safety issue. Because, um, I mean, I work with an iPad. So in some cities, I would be very cautious about working with an iPad with, uh, with my AirPods in my ears, you know, and noise cancellation on. Uh, but uh, Hong Kong is incredibly safe. And in lots of the places I've been to as well. I mean, even in L.A. where, like, I mean, my friends saying, like, why are you trying on the streets in L.A.? It's not. No, that's not true. I mean. Uh, you have to exercise a certain amount of caution, but it's I I have never felt unsafe while urban sketching. Um, I've loved how it actually opens the doors to conversation with strangers, but that's another topic that we can talk about later. Um, so coming back to capturing the senses, I think it. I also don't listen to music, although that I know that many many sketchers do, because I find I love. I find that I love that that sense of descending into the flow of the moment. And the flow of the moment involves all the senses, what I see, what I hear, what I'm feeling, um, the emotional feedback, the, the sensory feedback. So if I have music playing, it takes away one aspect of that richness because I want to hear what's happening. If I'm in an exotic place, and exotic could be the market, the street market in my neighborhood. I mean, you miss out on, you know, the, the, the conversation that's happening or the way that vendors call out their wares or, and things like that, that, that I think without realizing it gives richness to the sketch that you're making as well. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the other like public events that you've made sketches at. You've been commissioned to do work at uh, various events, like uh, you were at a key Apple keynote event and you were sketching there. Uh, I'm curious to know, like when you're when you're doing something like this and you're doing it on commission, so now you're doing this for someone else, and it's meant to satisfy some external expectations. Does that affect what you do, or are you able to trust that you know they want like? they want your work but when you're doing something for someone else do you feel the need to represent certain things that are not necessarily your choice uh so far i think i've been very fortunate to work with clients who are coming to me because they trust my creative sensibilities but i do find that i impose upon myself a little something when I'm working on a commission. So something that would take me ordinarily an hour to do, if it's commission, it would might take me triple that time sometimes. Yeah. And, and uh, w which I, I'm trying to work on because sometimes then I find that my line is too tight or I'm adding in too much detail. It loses that loose spontaneity that I might do if it's an urban sketch just for myself. Um, and I'm trying to let go of that because I, I feel like, well, you know, they're coming to me because they want that particular look that I have. So why am I tightening up? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a magic that, you know, that happens when we, when you're urban sketching, but then when you're doing this on the same thing on commission, it fe you feel obligated to recreate it in a very specific, very precise way. 
And it's something that happens. You can't really orchestrate it like that. I felt that, say, I did two commissions this week and I just kept thinking, I'm so good at drawing people. Why is this such a laborious task, laborious task for me? Like this should, this should come so quickly. I almost want to, you know, I want to be angry when I do it so that I just, at least I don't think like I'll maybe then the magic will just come into it. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. It's something I still struggle with. I'm still trying to get better at that. Yeah. So how, how about how about public events? Like you've recently made uh, drawings of marches and protests and rallies. Usually when uh, sketchers are drawing it, you know, in public spaces, urban sketchers, you would want to be comfortable where you are. You would want to be able to sit down somewhere. You'd want to feel safe in your immediate surroundings. But this, I... I I would imagine the act of making art of these things involves a lot of uh, like a hyper awareness of your surroundings. You're not necessarily as comfortable as you are at other times. How, how does that work for you? How do you, how do you still, you know, firstly, how do you get yourself to make art in those surroundings? And then how do you go about putting the finesse of it? I think first, if, because I'm always looking for a story. And and I think every urban sketcher has that reportage bug to some extent or develops it at some point. So you're always looking to try and tell the story of what you see visually in your drawings. And when you see something like this happen, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's not like, you know, normal where everybody's going to work. And that is not so much of a story, although you could find stories in that as well. But if there is a, a, a huge public march, a demonstration of some sort, you know it's an unusual occurrence. So um, urban sketches, I think we feel compelled to try and record bits of history that are happening. Um, and when these things happen, I, I have an insatiable urge to draw it uh, and to draw it as quickly as possible. So yes, you. I think safety is really, really important. And in some cities, in certain circumstances, it would not be safe and I wouldn't even think of trying it then. So uh, the way I would gauge whether it's an okay thing to do is to first pay close attention. I mean, I carry my iPad with me pretty much every time I go out. It's always in my backpack because it's, you know, it's easy to. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of space uh, or nor is it very heavy. So when an occasion presents itself, the fact that you can set up or pack up in seconds, that is crucial. Um, and also with the particular iPad grip that I have, and I have a YouTube video if you want to check out what I'm using and why, uh, <laughs> Rob Sketcherman on YouTube, check that out. So, um, what I do then is I'm able to work standing up or I can be sitting down or I could be leaning against something. And, and all these drawings that I do when I'm recording these kind of events, I just want to be working quickly anyway. So they're usually done in under a half hour from anywhere from five, 10 minutes to a half hour at the max. And I always try to make sure there's something behind me, uh, a pillar or a wall. And I also try to, I definitely stand out of the way. I look for a vantage point where I'm not in the middle of the flow of whatever is happening so that, you know, I'm not in anybody's way. I try to actually blend in or blend into the background so that I'm not, attracting any attention because 
you never know what uh, might be around you that may be unhappy with what you're doing. <laughs> uh, someone might be unhappy with what you're doing. Uh, so I, I make safety paramount. And if there is a situation where I can draw safely, then I go ahead and do it. Um, where the demonstrations in Hong Kong in the past have happened, I've found that uh, in most cases, I would say in most cases where I have wanted to draw 90 plus percent of the time, it's being absolutely safe to do so. And I've even felt uh, secure in the middle of a crowd. Like uh, I remember once it was like pouring down with rain. Uh, I was hooking in um, the, the the stem of the umbrella in my sh between my shoulder and my neck, and then I was just drawing on the iPad. It was still possible to do that while inching along with everybody else um, on the street. So I think you have to gauge your circumstances, and it also depends on your speed and be, being able to capture a scene. Um, and again, when talking about capturing a scene, don't feel like you have to work full color. Like any advice I would give to people, like if you could do a line drawing that captures uh, an element of the scene, also don't feel like you have to draw everything. If you can draw one person, one character that you see that en that encapsulates what is happening, that is also telling the story already. So there's so many ways to do it. Yeah. And I feel like the the speed aspect of it is such a powerful education tool because when you don't have an option other than to draw quickly and then you want to get out of there or you want to head back home for whatever reason, it completely changes your workflow all over again. Like when you would use the color, when the line work comes in, when the fin whether or not there are finishing touches to it and not have knowing that there might not be time for those finishing touches on location at the very least, what that does to your line work and your initial steps. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it's it's really good practice to work very quickly, and and you can also get that practice in a safe environment by by giving yourself you know a, a particular time spans. This was training that was really good that I developed in live drawing because if you go through these short sessions, it's thirty second drawing, one minute, two minute, five minute, maximum of twenty. Um, and you know, 20 minutes to draw one person is like, wow, that's a really, really it's long a, time. It's a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I went to a couple of life drawing sessions and after the 15 minute mark, I was just, I was peering over everyone else. I actually drew the other artists over there. So I made yeah. an urban sketch of my life drawing session. Ah, uh, yes. Being there, done that. I totally understand. So uh, again, uh, I'm looking at the, the wide variety of work that you've put out and I try to understand how you're being an iPad user myself. What I'm most curious about is trying to figure out your workflow. And I try to see if you're a line work person or if you're a color person or if you're a volumes and shapes person. And it seems like you jump between these roles that you don't have a very defined singular way of doing things do you feel do you feel that way do you feel do the circumstances dictate do does the subject dictate how you approach it i'm, I'm talking about things like uh, you've drawn some very chaotic uh, some dynamic scenes so musicians playing in front of you you've drawn chaotic scenes in a market you've also drawn night scenes in in, in hong kong and 
something like that i'm i'm just trying to wonder how the situation affects your workflow and the the you know how you go about things that's a good question and it really depends on time i would say because if i'm trying to work really quickly it's all about the line because you can add the color in if there is time or even if there is not a lot of time you could just work with a minimal color palette one two colors and you can flesh things out um if there is a lot of time and i have a particular vibe from the scene then i might want to go a more painterly way i mean uh, that's how i would differentiate it where it's line base or paint base which would in which case then i would start with overall shapes and blocks of color and then start to build the detail uh so i i try i try both ways and i'm experimenting right now with digital watercolor brushes which allow me to go paint in without going line first and that is actually pretty fascinating uh i will be making a video about that eventually <laughs> um but yeah I'm, i'm experimenting first so that i i have you know i i have tips that i can i can give to people who want to give it a go uh so i actually try to do both um and the reason that i started thinking in that way i mean when i first started i was very very much a line person first color was secondary um even back in when i was doing figure drawing uh and life drawing i would work with the conte pencil first uh and when i started urban sketching i was actually using ballpoint pens and then color pencils i'd have like two color pencils and one ballpoint pen and that was so be line first and then color and then i when i went to a my first symposium actually which was in singapore um there was a a session called the big crit where a, a bunch of instructors were in the front and anyone could go up to them you'd have to line up you have to get in a queue and you were issued a random instructor and you could talk to them for like 3 minutes and get feedback and and advice and i found this was fantastic and somebody told me why don't you try going color first instead of line and after that it was like i was blown away by that because i'd never thought of going color first what put a blob of color down and then work my line around it i mean i was trying to get my brain around it but over time because i'm <laughs> i'm often a very slow learner or it took me a, a few years to actually think of even to trying that uh but i've found that that can be a very interesting way to do things and i really appreciate how it makes me see things differently and i think one of the one of the i mean the most valuable thing we have as urban sketches is our sight right i mean you can't draw if you can't see so uh although some well no some people may say no that's not an issue but you still have to know what shapes you're looking at and how to interpret that so i really value any lesson that causes me to look at things differently whether it's a, a philosophical perspective or it's a new visual way of looking at things and then how does that translate into my work so and that's another reason why we're never bored i mean there's always something to to figure out or improve on or to appreciate yeah and from what you say i'm also thinking about how you know it comes back to that idea of needing permission 
just seeing someone else do something or hearing from someone that you can do it the other way or you can do color first and then the lines if you need those lines still it's and you like these ideas sometimes they're not necessarily brilliant or out of the world ideas they're just ideas that maybe you have but you don't give them credence you think they're just silly things and that's why you need this this community like going on the urban sketchers facebook group anytime i scroll through it i always pick up a couple of tips from someone or the other doing something that this like and i try to reverse engineer the drawing thinking how they might have gone over it how they might have done this and i always give myself a tip of next time i'm going to try this next time i'm going to try that i'm going to steal from this person and that person so uh, uh, i i want to ask you like as a digital sketcher now you're looking at urban sketch art and most of it is traditional media most of it is like hardly very very few people post digital work um does that impact in any way you you being able to pick up tips no because i i i learn from watercolorists i learn from people who draw um with line like uh, an example would be say don coley whom you've interviewed when i first saw his stuff i thought wow that's such a great way to use fingerprints you know to add texture to your work and then i found a fingerprint brush so i don't have to get my own fingerprints dirty <laughs> and and yeah it it gives this really this like a personal feel like you're marking your work uh without getting your hands dirty and i know that some artists are like oh, i love getting my hands dirty but i make a mess you know the the ink would be on my face and like i said i'm trying to keep my marriage harmonious <laughs> <laughs> so um being able to to experiment and make a huge mess digitally um i think it's very 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 incredibly liberating because like you can you can throw splotches on your work and if you know it doesn't work out you could erase it or you could undo it you know and go back several steps i mean that's it's so liberating you if you haven't tried it you have to out there if you if you're thinking about dipping your toe into the digital world you got to give it a go i mean if you already have an ipad you really there's no excuse not to try i absolutely agree uh, and even if you're using traditional media it's sometimes just doing that that silly start so i spoke to paul wang in an earlier episode and i i i don't know if you heard that one yet i would highly recommend you listen to it because i think you love his conversation uh he says a similar thing about sometimes starting with a splotch on the page with ink with color uh, not ink and it's it's so useful in so many ways it instantly sets a theme a tone it instantly identifies what he calls a heart space so it instantly uh, identifies a focus area for your page but also it's so disarming suddenly once you've done that and that was something that was not in your control how it turns out on the paper once you've done that suddenly that cost of entering that page with your lines is is reduced now you can do other things that might be silly might be not so carefully planned out so there are so many values to just jumping in sometimes in your first your first step like diving off the deep end that's fascinating i mean i've sketched with paul so many times he's a good friend but uh and he's actually a, an excellent educator he really knows how to articulate things really well so well like i said i didn't want to listen to to too many podcasts cuz i didn't want to be like repeating a lot of stuff i wanted to 
be able to approach this session with you very spontaneously. But yeah, I'm absolutely going to listen to everything. There's also a lesson there for whoever's listening. And this is something I happily endorse as well, is sometimes it helps to enter something with a certain level of naivety or ignorance. Knowing too much can be so stifling sometimes. Yes, that's true. And and for me, I think that was a lesson that I learned also because I didn't go to art school. I, my knowledge of art history is very, very limited. I mean, when I was growing up, like my mom introduced me to the Renaissance masters. So I knew who, I had an idea like what Rembrandt painted or Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and all that. But I didn't know them as people. Um, I didn't go into the, their personal histories. And then when it came to modern art and art through the ages and all that, I mean, yeah, I know who, who Van Gogh was, but I didn't know how to learn from them. And actually now, although I have more of an interest in art history, my art history and the lessons I learned are from my fellow urban sketchers. So I scroll through my Instagram feed and rather than learn from these old masters, I learn from these contemporary masters. You know, I learn from like, Shari Van Gogh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Marion Rembrandt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the way they wield their tools and all that, that's, that's like, oh, I wonder if I could do that with, with, uh, with the digital medium. I mean, I remember chatting with Virginia Hine, um, and she was experimenting with this thing. It was in one of the USK talks in season one, and she was using this medium, like this explosive powder. So she would get these crazy random effects, and then she'd let it dry, and then paint on top of that. And I immediately started to think like, you know, how could I recreate that digitally? And I, I kind of found something, I mean, with a, with a combination of brushes, but this is how, um, even though you work digitally, you can still find lots of um, inspiration from the traditional world and from artists all around you. you. Don't have to look way back in the past. There's plenty right now to inspire. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that brings us to something else I wanted to speak about, which is the USK talk sessions. So a lot of uh, artists now, especially people who are newly coming into urban sketching, they might even know you first from the USK talk sessions and then find your art. Uh, I, I'm curious to know, uh, like you've spoken to so many people now, is what what are some key learning moments that you can think of? Not only in like say in hearing their stories hearing their techniques, but also in the act of being the interviewer and asking them questions and thinking about what is a good question to ask, or maybe from your audience, like in, in the feedback, what, what are some things that you can think that have really uh, helped you being, being part of it? I'd say the entire experience is extremely educational. The, the, I mean, we're into season two now, and the whole reason USK Talks came about was when the lockdown happened last year, um, it suddenly felt like the, the urban sketching community was bereft. You know, the, there was no symposium gonna, that was going to happen. And last year, 2020, was supposed to be in Hong Kong. So no symposium and no end in sight without knowing like what's going to happen in the future, workshops being canceled all over the world it felt like there was a need for something to give urban, the urban sketching community uh, something look, to look forward to, 
a little upliftment because there was a lot of that like encouragement happening within the within the chatter of the community but and and the idea of usk talks was not mine alone uh what happened was a few of us got talking and it was it was like a, a an idea that popped up in the heads of a few people and when we got together and discussed it, it's like yes let's make this a reality and what I loved was talking to a different sketcher and getting a different perspective every single week. And I, I think that for me as the interviewer was very educational because you get to, to step into another point of view and to look at things for a, a, an extended period of time because the, the show itself is about an hour or so, but the prep for the show is weeks before that. So we're already getting to the headspace, like into the subject matter or um, understanding and getting to know the guests. So we're, it's, it's like an introduction to a new topic every week, a new style, a new way of doing things. Where, and if it's not a, a technique-based show, then it is something about the chapter. So I'm learning about, um, for, instance, for instance, USK Paris. I didn't know how, I loved learning about how they brought the community together under lockdown. They would have Zoom sessions. They would watch USK Talks together. They would do the challenges together. Then they would come on Zoom and then, you know, like, this is what I did. This is what I learned. So that was also, like, very, very um, satisfying and fulfilling. Right. To learn. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, USK Hong Kong. Uh, how long have you been associated with them? Were they already around when you started urban sketching? And I'm curious to know, you know, something like, uh, so this part of like what you mentioned about the guests you had on USK Talks, it applies just the same way to the wider community, that there's so much diversity. There's people who are artists. There are people who are uh, urbanists, urban designers. Some people are architects. But there are people who otherwise don't have any business being interested in urban sketching. But, you know, yeah. and those are the people that I, I, I just, I admire them the most because <laughs> there are people who have precious little leisure time and they have adult responsibilities and they choose to spend that precious leisure, a part of that time in urban sketching. And I feel like more than any artist, more than anyone like me who wants to sell their art or make things with their art, you know, I have a reason to be there. They are deriving a very clear and a very purposeful thing from urban sketching, which is why they give it their time. Yes. And I've found, like, I've, I've met scientists. I've met a cardiac surgeon who is an urban sketcher. Because um, you, you hear a lot about it, designers and architects and, and, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's just, there's an incredible diversity. And with these people, I, what I've found is that they love urban sketching because it is an, a creative outlet and it gives them, like, that moment of peace. And it's the meditative quality that you get when you're really into it, the sketch. It's a, it, you know, it helps. It decreases stress or whatever it is. It makes them happy. So that's why they do it. And I think urban sketching for that is like one of the purest things because if you have an intention to sell your work, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I'm all for the creative entrepreneur. I am one as well. But it, 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 uh, it colors the way you do things a little bit. It's not as liberating because you're, you're thinking like, oh, 
You know, would this be something people will want to buy? And I have caught myself thinking that right now I'm trying to be more like, I'm going to paint this because I love it. And if people feel that in the drawing, then maybe they want to buy it, <laughs> you know, or they want to learn from me <laughs> for, for, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we all have to, as a creative entrepreneur, you're a solopreneur. Sometimes you have to find different ways to continue being able to do this on a daily basis. Uh, and I, I, I absolutely encourage that as well. I think it's amazing that there are urban sketchers and artists who can make art every day and make it their living. Uh, but yeah, for those guys out there who are doing something else as their day job and they hardly have any time and they do urban sketching because they love it. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Well, it just goes to show that it could be anything to anyone. And you do not have to feel like, oh, I can't draw. I'm too old. Therefore, I can't take it up. You know, you could be young. You could be old. There's no judgment. So learn to draw. It brings you so much fulfillment. Yeah. And, and it reinforces this idea that it's not about the result. It's a very... Uh, process like it's it's a thing that you're doing in the moment it's those two or three hours in the meetup that matter not what drawing you got at the end the urban sketcher who draws really really well is only as happy as the other urban sketchers who don't draw even nearly as well as him or her because the joy comes from from doing it and that's that in itself is such a great lesson that's true. And adding to that, there's another thing that I'd really like to impress on people because I do not believe in talent where art is concerned. I think it's all about aptitude. Like people look at me and I get so many like comments and pass, people passing by, oh, you're so talented. And I appreciate the sentiment. I understand that. And, and I thank you for your compliment. But what you see is not talent. It's a love for drawing. You just don't see the... 40 plus years that it took to develop this, the skill that you see today that I, you know, I knock something out maybe in like in a minute and you think like, there's no way I could do that. But if you practice enough, you could, sure. So talent is something you shouldn't worry about at all. It's if you love what you do, you'll get better at it because you keep doing it. That's it. That's really it. That's the secret to getting better at anything. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Like I've I've uh, only recently learned how to be learned to become good at my art and I can absolutely vouch for that that more than anything else like even if there is like maybe we're, we're biased and so we are just biased towards not thinking of it as talent even if there is such a thing it plays such a small part and the word when when somebody tells you you're talented it I have that same reaction. Like I absolutely understand where you're coming from. So I absolutely appreciate that compliment, but it puts a bit of magic into what was a lot of work. <laughs> like yeah. so many, so many years <laughs> of doing bad drawings, so many sketchbooks of terrible perspective and like people who look wonky. Yep. Absolutely. And every artist knows that journey. So so if you're, whoever's listening, like if you're at the, the start of your journey, it could be an amazingly fulfilling one for you. And I highly encourage you to, to take that step uh, because there's, and I think that this is something that is an awesome thing for anybody who loves learning because 
it, the learning never stops, no matter how good you think you are. There's always something more to learn. And if you don't feel that, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you love the learning, because it makes life so much richer, then oh, you're going to be for one heck of a ride because it is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it reminds me of this thing I read, which was which really changed how I think about this act of learning, acquiring skills and employing my creativity in different ways. It said that instead of a goal-based approach to life, we should have a systems-based approach. So a goals-based approach is something like, I want to be this good. And you have a certain level in your mind that you want to reach a certain kind of, let's, if we talk about just art, then getting to a certain level of realism or a certain style. What that does, while it's a great motivator and it might help a lot of people achieve that level, it means that you spend the whole time until you reach that goal unhappy because you're not at that goal. Whereas it contrasted with a systems-based approach, you do the things that make you happy. You will eventually reach the goals, the good goals. But every day, if you exercise it in the way, if you focus on the things that you like to do, every day gives you some joy. Every day makes it, it makes it worth it. So it's a, it's a sustainable practice. You have less likelihood of dropping off or burning out, getting frustrated with yourself. And you spend simply a larger amount of your life happier. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would actually call it rather than systems, a systems approach, approach I'd call it a journey approach. Because, uh, well, to me, a system is still, it feels cold. Whereas if you enjoy the journey, you know, you smell those flowers, you can draw them too. You enjoy the scenery, you enjoy all the senses that accompany it. And the process, um, yeah, and there's and there's plenty, there's plenty to to dive into. Yeah, yeah, and we're so lucky that urban sketching seems like such a natural way to express that that journey based approach in your mind because yeah. we're surrounded by people who enjoy the journey with us. Absolutely, and I think one of the really fulfilling things, uh, because urban sketchers understand this, they understand what it's like to suddenly have their visual senses open up in such a way, and to to want to be able to capture all these moments in life. But I think one thing that I found is also extremely rewarding is when I'm drawing on the street, and someone who maybe not into art, can appreciate drawing. I love also how urban sketching is a doorway into art appreciation. You know, it's representational. So it's something that anyone can identify with. And if I'm drawing a street market that this old lady is going to buy her fruit and vegetables at every every day, she looks at my drawing and she might not appreciate it. She'll be like, oh, it's smelly here. Why are you here? But the fact that I'm drawing it, makes her look up and see that same space in a totally different way. And if we can, as urban sketchers, can get ordinary citizens in our wherever we live to appreciate where they are every day, just that little bit more, can you imagine the impact that will have, the ripple effect that will have? You know, you make that person just look up and appreciate their surroundings just have been more rather than just being like absorbed in a game or absorbed, absorbed in social media. Or they, many, many people don't even look up anymore. That, that's so true. Uh, I had this experience. Uh, I moved, when I came to the US, 
I was in Chicago for a very short time and then I moved to Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, I was in rural Wisconsin. It wasn't even Madison or Milwaukee. Uh, so I was in this completely foreign landscape, which I had no concept of. I'd never imagined this kind of this kind of place. And urban sketching was the way that I explored it. And it gave me also a lazy person. It gave me the impetus to go out and see a new street, a new part of town, observe people. And that's also where, incidentally, I started to sell my art. And I, th that art was all urban sketches. And I'd get that kind of reaction from people who had been, who'd grown up there, who'd been to all those bars since years and years, all those restaurants, all those cafes, that park. And they would tell me that you've drawn something that I see every day. I've been seeing since childhood, but I've never seen it in this way. And that to me felt like I was doing something that was worthwhile. And that if you can, like to your point, like if you can help someone see their world again, but in a fresh way, then that's like such a big thing you've given them. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a, a way that urban sketchers can improve the world we live in without, you know, without getting all preachy or anything, you know. It's such a simple thing to do. And and if, can you imagine as urban sketches, like we, it, it helps people to appreciate where they are. It might encourage someone to pick up drawing something that they may have given up since they were kids. Because every kid starts out drawing. They just stop <laughs> at some point because yeah. of the criticism, right? Oh, you're no good at that. That doesn't look like a dog. Your dog looks like a cow. You know, or if you're Asian, you're just supposed to grow up now and do other yes, important things. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. I, I I grew up wanting to be a comic book illustrator, and every, that dream was. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you know, it, we're actually really lucky. I mean, for all the 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 ways that some people would say, like you know, the world's not a very great place. Like, I think we're extremely fortunate um, uh, as as urban sketchers or even living in this time, in this day and age, the fact that we have this podcast to listen to. We've got high-speed internet in most of the world that allows us to get connected and to, to open up the world in so many different ways for us now and for us to be able to communicate that in so many ways as well. And then for us as, as urban sketches, I mean, we're guys like sitting in our living room or on our own and we can make a living out of this. I mean, how amazing is that? Yeah, 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 I absolutely agree. Yeah, there's a lot to be frustrated about, but mm -hmm. urban sketching has given us this way to appreciate the, the surroundings nonetheless, even if they are the same every day, even if it's a pandemic and you can't go out and it's the same yeah. window every morning, <laughs> still you can look for something and you can find something interesting. Yes. Yeah. You can this, find that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go okay. ahead. Go. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that this, uh, I'm at the end of my questions and I've had oh, okay. such a lovely conversation <laughs> with you. So I wanted to thank you for 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 this i've learned so much i think i have uncovered a lot of the tricks about you that i wanted to uncover and a lot of longtime fans of your work will now know so much more about you so i'm glad to give that to them too <laughs> well thank you very much nishant i've really enjoyed this conversation as well i hope that your viewers yes, sorry, your listeners have learned something as well i have no doubt they have i mean 
um, you, I think you've got a great thing going here, this podcast thing and being for people to be able to walk around or, you know, explore your town and listen to these podcasts. I think it'd be very interesting to listen to an artist and as they walk around, you know, they'll find ideas firing off in their head. So I encourage you, whoever you whoever's listening right now, write those things down or give it a go. Try it, try it because it's going to make your life richer in so many ways. <laughs> I've had some listeners get back to me about, uh, about drawing as they listen. And that's been mm. a very nice experience for a lot of people. So I hope people will do that with this episode as well. Hopefully they'll do it with an iPad in hand because it's so inspiring. I'm, I'm definitely going to take my iPad out and do some urban <laughs> sketches, which I haven't used it enough for, for no, no good reasons. Absolutely. But now I am. Okay, great. And you can always get me if you got questions. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we before we sign off, Rob, uh, do, uh, is is your YouTube channel something you've always been active at, or is it something you're now uh, re like doing more diligently? I, I I haven't heard of it before. Oh right, okay. Well, I I've had a YouTube channel, and initially all I did was to upload a few time lapses from my Procreate pieces, um, and it was just testing to see whether there was any interest. Um, of late, I, I haven't done anything in the last few months, but what I've been working on is my first iPad urban sketching online course. So that is almost ready. Um, and after that, I'll be putting out a lot more content on my YouTube channel. If you go to the, there now, there might be a couple of videos that will help you understand my process a little bit better. And I, I find it very interesting because I'm also very interested in filmmaking. I'm, 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 I'm interested in storytelling. So the sketching tells you one aspect, but um, I just go around, I, I don't use anything fancy, I'm just using my iPhone and I get some footage as well, but I think it helps sketchers to understand the backstory of where I go and it helps to explain my process. So I've put up a few videos and in the coming months, I'm gonna put up a lot more. Uh, and I'll be putting out also lots of free tips on iPad urban sketching. So. Speaking of storytelling, have you tried the animation feature on Procreate yet? I have. I've dabbled a little bit and I am fascinated. I've, I find that, again, you know, it's an amazing feature that Procreate's put out. Like it's, it's a painting app and now you can do animation on it. You can make GIFs and stuff like that. I think uh, one of the first things that I tried with it was a dancing mouse for Happy New Year last year. <laughs> if you go to my Instagram, you'll find that one. And then I, I've I've just dabbled a little bit more. I have ideas, but animation will always take a little bit more time to do. It's it, it's quite process intensive, uh, but still, the fact that you can is is it's it's fun. True, true. And uh, what kind of platform is your urban sketching course going to be available on? Um, it's not Skillshare or Udemy or anything like that. I've developed my own website, of which I am redesigning. And so it'll be on my own platform, so to speak. Uh, you can find more information on sketchman.com if you're interested. And you can also sign up to be notified when it it's ready and it's coming in the next couple of weeks or so. So pretty Lovely. soon. I'm not so sure. By the time this episode releases, it's going to be online, hopefully. And I'm going to include uh, all the links in the show notes. So if anyone's listening, you can go to the episode description and all the links are there. Thank you very much. Yeah, that'd be great.